What's up, people of Solana? This is Louis, and you're listening to Solana Cove. Today, we have Alex Kaufman from Sabre on to chat about an emerging narrative which is being called Sabre Wars. If you're familiar with Curve Wars, you might have an idea where this is going. Make sure you're listening at the 35 minute mark to hear Alex tell you why you are absolutely not bullish enough on Solana. All right, let's get into it. Let's double back a little bit and kind of get situated in terms of bringing in your profile. So I'd love to hear a bit about your background before we jump into Sable Wars, uh, how you and how you got into crypto sort of to get so we can get a feeling for like uh, yeah, where you're coming from. Sure. Uh, so I um, grew up in Australia, but I was born in the States. Um, and I actually spent the vast majority of my career in politics, both in Australia and in California. Um, and then after that, I started a data targeting company for democratic organizations to essentially better target voters. Um, and, you know, that was a really interesting experience. But the lesson I learned is that uh, political organizations are not open to new technological developments, which, of course, is sort of a theme of government more broadly. Um, and then I went to work for a presidential campaign. Uh, then I did two years at Facebook in global election security enforcement and risk. Um, and then I came over to Sabre. The way I came to Sabre was through Twitter, actually. Uh, the, the team uh, posted on Twitter about um, if anyone wanted to do BD for Sabre, and I had been following Sabre for a very long time at that point, basically since it, since it had launched. Um, and I put my hand up, I did some interviews, and I got the job. Uh, so that was pretty, that was pretty fascinating. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about how you, you just mentioned that you were very early to say, but can you tell us a bit about how you discovered Solana? Cause it sounds like you were in quite early then in that case. Yeah. A really good friend of mine, um, really good friend of mine who will go unnamed runs one of like, we used to run one of sort of like the OG uh, San Francisco hedge funds for crypto in like 2016, 2017. Um, so I had heard about, all of the exploits in 2017. Um, frankly, at the time, even though I had sort of been introduced to crypto via um, uh, via the dark web, even though I didn't use the dark web myself, I understood that that was sort of how Bitcoin originally, sort of the OG purpose was to essentially still grow it. So that was how I understood it at the time. And then I saw all of the craziness with the ICO boom of 2017 and the launching of Ethereum. I sort of, frankly, thought it was, I wouldn't say vaporware, but I was very unsure because lots of conversations with people, there was a lot of fraud, there was a lot of nonsense, there was a lot of just obvious Ponzi schemes and garbage in the system. So that was a little disheartening, actually, because it seemed really interesting and really cool, but at the same time, I couldn't tell what was vaporware and what wasn't. I just wasn't a sophisticated enough investor. And then what happened, actually, was that, you know, it's funny, I um, I was just just getting sort of back into DeFi a little bit because DeFi had really kicked off at that point, I would say about sort of early 2020. Um, and early 2020, I'm start looking into DeFi and my buddy's like, hey, you know, you should check out Solana. You should look at Solana. You should have an idea about what this is. Um, and I don't remember exactly when that conversation happened. I think it was sort of, I would say, late 2020. So, uh, or mid to late 2020. Um, but and I could be wrong on the dates here because you have to forgive me. I'm, I'm not exactly sure when I first discovered it, but it was very, very early. Um, but I didn't buy it. I didn't buy it. I, I, I was like, this looks cool. Again, don't understand it. Need to spend way more time. 
So I would say I probably bought Solana at like $32, something like that, um, because I saw that initial price action and I'm sort of a trader sort of by training originally. Um, so back in the day. So um, yeah, at about $30, I saw it move and I bought a whole bunch and I sold it, you know, to 220 and whatever it was. Um, and that definitely got my attention. It's definitely hard to ignore, you know, that kind of price action, you know, from, from uh, 30 cents to $38 was astonishing. Uh, yeah. And then I just bought to see where it went. So, um, and I could be getting all these dates wrong, but basically a little bit after Solana launched, I heard about it. But frankly, I didn't, I didn't investigate it for quite some time. And then in terms of discovering Sabre, once I understood what Solana actually could mean for the, for the DeFi ecosystem as a whole, I then said, well, okay, who is the most important, what's the most important layer zero thing? And in my opinion, it was Sabre at the time. And I still believe that that's true fundamentally. So yeah, so then at that point, I was like, well, I need to learn everything that there is to know about Sabre because it feels like without Sabre, there is no Solana or at a minimum, Sabre lays the foundation for so much of Solana in so many ways, some visible, some not. Yeah. So that was basically it. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. I think Sabre was one of the first protocols I interacted with when I came over to Solana and I was really, really impressed with how, how fast the, tra uh, the, the transactions were. It was really like right in front of your eyes. So it left a big impression. Okay. So We've got you on to chat about the Sabre Wars. And I think to understand the Sabre Wars, we have to lay a first the groundwork of the VE uh, concept. So maybe you right. could outline what, like what vested equity uh, stands for. Uh, so VE stands for voting escrow. Oh, um, my and bad. <laughs> so oh, it's all right. That's why I'm here. Uh, so the VE model, the VE token model is the voting escrow model. So essentially, um, and I'll give you the use case for Sabre, and then that will explain a lot of other things and it'll sort of open up the dialogue for more things. So basically, Sabre is a governance token. And in that sense, it essentially only exists to be converted into vSabre. So it has no underlying value in a traditional market security sense. It's obviously not a security, it's strictly a governance token. And what that means is that basically it exists to be, basically the price of that token is relative to the value of the Sabre DAO. So as Sabre becomes more valuable, you would assume that governing the DAO would become more of an attractive proposition. And so therefore that is where the sort of the, uh, the market underlying value comes from, although formally it has no value, like it has no function other than to do that. Now, what, what this means is, is that you can, on Tribeca right now, stake one Sabre for any number of Sabre, essentially, for a minimum of seven days to a maximum of five years. And of course, staking a token for five years um, is a huge vote of confidence to the company and to the underlying protocol and, and, that, and the team. Um, so, and we have it on a multiplier. So if you stake for one year, you get um, a 2x. So for every one Sabre token, you get two Sabre tokens. And then it progressively goes up to the point that five years is 10 times. So one Sabre token is 10 Sabre tokens. Now, of course, what this means is that not only are we are sort of saying, okay, you actually take your Sabre tokens out of the market and you actually lock them away. So you essentially remove the, that liquidity from the system, which of course depending on what we're talking about, can really kill sell-side pressure, which is obviously a good thing because, of course, the less tokens there are, you know, price goes up. Um, but then secondly, 
vSaber has no value and it's not exchangeable or tradable, which means that it really is just locked within the DAO. So it's not like you have a secondary market for tokens. You don't have a secondary market. It, it physically exists within the DAO. So this basically is the best conceivable way that you can align long-term governance interests because long-term governance is a complicated topic because, of course, things happen in the short term and you need a competent core team to get things done. But it's very, very, very important that people, just like CEOs are compensated usually with stock vesting plans that are three to five years, I think one, three and five years is like typical, like Jamie Dimon, I think has these long-term structures in his contract. Much in the same way, the VSaber token model says, well, you know, founding team has equity, founding, you know, the, the founding uh, venture capital firms that back the company have equity, you know, have tokens, uh, founding uh, investors, everybody. So early community people, everybody has these tokens. And what we're saying is we will build price agnostically. We're going to just build what needs to be built. And we're not going to be obsessed over short-term, uh, over short-term developments, uh, short-term capitalism, short-term cycles. And we're also committing never to sell, right, for that period, of course. So you're also committing not to sell. So the, what's really fascinating about the V-token model is that not only is it a sort of a, a cross between, um, it's an interesting liquidity play on the one hand. It's also a way to align long-term values. And then thirdly, you, what you're really doing is the team is sending a signal to the market. And that signal is fundamentally, we believe in this for half a decade, crypto has not been around for a very long time. And I know everyone says six months in crypto is like three years in traditional markets. And I think that's actually understating the situation. But in five years, I will be able to take all of my Sabre out. And of course, I anticipate that the value of Sabre and the value of governing Sabre will be significantly greater. Um, and so what that allows us to do is, it's sort of the final meshing here is, is that the team, you know that the team is not one, selling, but two, you know that the team is fundamentally building for long-term deep value. And all of those things are impossible in traditional markets because you cannot, I mean, you have these highly robust, you know, uh, liquidity markets uh, with, the, with the NASDAQ and everything else. This is an entirely new way to focus shareholder activism, you know, token holder activism, essentially, and align that with the long-term value of fundamentally profound protocols and companies that are doing huge things in the ecosystem um, and restore an enormous amount of faith in the teams that are doing this. Because, I mean, I think a lot of people after 2017 were like, well, you know, this is, you know, the ICO thing and sort of the amount of early token holder allotments and lockups, all of that stuff that was sort of very shady and the V-token model really forces teams, if, if they choose to adopt it, to put their money where their mouth is and say, you know what, we're locking for five years here. We're committed to this for half a decade. This is our careers. This is the future of Solana, and that's what we're going to do. So it's a very powerful model, I think, for governance. I don't think there is a better model. I think that it is objectively the standard, and it, will, and it is becoming increasingly adopted by many companies on Solana, and I expect basically if you want to start a DAO on Solana in 2022 and forward, it's hard to argue to your community that you wouldn't do this, right? It creates a level of uh, expectation that I think a lot of people are seeing, and as a result, a lot of people are adopting Tribeca, and I think they're going to continue to, if that answers your question. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for that. That was really a very strong introduction. Um, 
just to be super clear for people who are curious. So when you're locking your tokens, you're getting more VE tokens, aka these are the tokens you'll be voting with for the next five years if you lock it up for five years. Um, is there any other benefit apart from the multiplier of VE tokens once you unlock it at the end? Like, do you get some kind of, I don't know, people are probably used to staking tokens or something. Is there some kind of um, additional benefit or it's, I don't want to say purely, but you know, it's a purely a governance multiplier. Um, so I think this is going to be a very DAO specific question. I know that there is a proposal at the moment in front of the Sabre governance forums to actually reward the holders of vSaber for essentially participating in governance. And one of the most important things about the V token model is that it essentially negates the risk of things being a security because, of course, they have no underlying value. And there is no asset, pardon me. There is actually no asset. It's actually locked within the DAO itself. Uh, from an interface point of view, so there are no secondary tokens created. And as a result, DAO to DAO, this will differ. I strongly suspect that there will be some DAOs who will say, okay, if you lock it for five years, we will allocate an amount to you over that period of time for basically agreeing to lock away your tokens. Um, although, of course, if you do that, um, there are interesting questions about what that actually means about the underlying value of your token in the first place, right? So there are these interesting regulatory questions that are not answered at the moment. Uh, I know that Sabre is definitely committed to, um, uh, at least as far as I can tell, the, the community, I shouldn't say Sabre, the community is having a very robust conversation at the moment about whether or not we should have an administrator's fee, a governance fee essentially delivered to people who've staked their Sabre. It looks like that's a pretty robust conversation. I suspect it will go up for a vote. So in a way, I think that the, the level of creativity that I'm expecting people to sort of come up with around this V-token model, it hasn't even scratched the surface of the level of complexity and the kind of ideas that people are going to have to align governance incentives correctly. Um, for anyone who's listening to this who doesn't know anything about the curve wars, the thing that's worth noting is that and what will be coming out relatively soon uh, is sort of a bribe system. And bribe systems are now very commonplace on Ethereum and they don't exist on Solana, but they are going to. Um, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how the VToken model essentially gets adapted uh, over time. I strongly suspect that um, there's going to be a lot of rewarding governance. And people, for example, let's say you vote 100 times in a row. Every single vote that comes up to the DAO, you vote 100 times in a row. I can imagine a DAO rewarding people who are consistently voting. Uh, actually, my, my time in politics, there are a number of uh, legislators who just refuse to vote on controversial things. And refusing to vote is sort of a bit of a cop-out, right? Because ultimately, we elect them to vote. Um, but they have that option. Um, and so I can imagine that there are all kinds of ways to reward really consistent people. And of course, that's what we're trying to do with five-year lockups anyway. So yeah, my, my, my shortened answer to your question would be that I think that there is enormous room for utility and sort of optimization for long-term and short-term governance. We haven't seen even remotely uh, the kind of innovation that I think is coming. But I, I, anyone who's adopting or thinking about adopting a VToken model, I think it's going to be very, 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 very innovative and very interesting for your community and for the team and, and for the future of the protocol that, you're, that you work for. So. Yeah, right on. Okay, so we have been circling a little bit the main topic of the podcast, and that is the Sabre Wars. So we've outlined what the V, v tokens are, and now let's talk about how the whole picture kind of comes together. 
um, and the saber wars are going to happen. So maybe we can begin by just a brief introduction to the curve convex um, duo, and then we can introduce uh, the Solana counterparts. Sure. So uh, for curve and convex, uh, the easiest way to think about this is that curve created the curve token. Uh, curve token was designed to govern the curve DAO. Uh, you could then, they, they invented the idea of where you could stake curve for V curve, voting escrow curve, and that gave you voting power over the DAO. Convex then emerged. And what convex's entire stated purpose is, is to essentially control curve, right? And to control the liquidity gauges and the liquidity pools that emerge on curve. And what curve does as, as identical to Sabre is that curve incentivizes people to uh, host liquidity in a variety of different pools. And those pools have emissions, like, like you know, interest rate emissions. And basically, if you use your V-curve to vote on those pools, the emissions change in your favor. The more curve you have, the higher the emission rate. So this creates, again, sort of as I was discussing earlier in the podcast, a highly competitive liquidity market where the strong and focused communities essentially privilege their own tokens. And this creates a, a sort of a, a what's called a virtuous flywheel effect where people accumulate um, curve tokens from emissions they then stake them. They then vote on their pools, which has their capital underlying in it, their liquidity underlying. And then they get more curve, which then leads to more staking, which then leads to more liquidity and it continues. So that, and, and Convex essentially just exists to optimize for the, uh, the emissions part of the curve matrix. Um, so to introduce Sabre, uh, much in the same way, Sabre essentially does that exact model. So what Sabre does is Sabre is essentially the curve on Solana. It's the easiest way to think about it. Sabre is a uh, is a is sort of the future of all cross chain DeFi and liquidity. We think um, basically anyone can become a liquidity provider on Sabre. When you do that, your tokens get issued into a pool. Those pools have gauges on Tribeca. Those gauges have emissions rates, and you can just in the same way you get your saber. You lock up for V saber. You vote on as a liquidity provider. You you vote on the pool of liquidity that you have on the line. Your emissions rate presumably increases. Then you get more saber, and then you can just continue the process. Um, so Tribeca is essentially the governance structure. So. On Ethereum and with Curve, Curve actually does this itself. So Curve actually itself hosts the governance, as far as I understand it. I think this is right. I mean, I've yep, used Curve a few times. Yep. Curve hosts its own governance. It hosts its own gauges. Uh, there's actually a Tribeca team. Um, you know, we sort of work with them. Uh, but in the interest of decentralization and the interest of incubating teams, a lot of people reach out to Dylan and Ian uh, Makliana, who are the two co-founders of Sabre. And there are a lot of really talented Rust Eng, uh, you know, sort of Eng folks uh, who want to contribute. And so the idea of Tribeca came up. Um, Tribeca is a standalone governance platform that exists to facilitate the V token model, no matter what the company is. So, you know, whether you're Port Finance or whether you're uh, Sabre or, you know, whatever you, whoever you are, Sunny. Tribeca exists solely for the administration of DAO governance. Um, and Sunny is essentially convex. So from the launch of Sabre uh, last year, 
Sunny came out very quickly after thereafter. Um, and essentially, Sunny exists again to essentially control Saber. Um, and if you were in sort of the Solana summer of last year and having a good time, like I think we all did, you would have seen that Sunny sort of came out of nowhere and became, I think for a while there, it was Saber and Sunny basically as the two biggest in terms of TBL on Solana for a long time. Uh, and the reason for that is that Sunny essentially created identical liquidity pools to Saber and um, basically offered Sunny rewards and Saber rewards. But the difference was that there was an emissions fee um, and there still is an emissions fee uh, totaling, I believe, 16%. So essentially, the APR was primarily in Sunny, not entirely in Sabre. And if you were staking with Sunny at the time, and even now, you got paid in Sunny tokens, um, and you got paid in Sabre, but they were taking basically a fee every time. Now, what this meant, of course, is that over a long enough period of time, Sunny, I believe at this point, I mean, I'm not sure of the exact numbers because I don't know the public, uh, the public uh, wallet here, but it's fair to estimate that Sunny controls 16% of Sabre. Um, and that is pretty significant considering you look at the valuation of uh, Sabre and then you look at the valuation of Sunny. And I mean, if you just put two and two together, uh, that's uh, a price inefficiency, uh, to, to put it mildly. Uh, so that's great. So, you know, uh, you know not financial advice, obviously, um, but uh, Sunny is a very interesting play and not a lot of people understand what Sunny does and, and what it means. So it's a very, very interesting situation. But essentially, that's the summary. Yeah. So just to reiterate, if, you, if you're not familiar with these players, so Sabre is the, um, the stable swap uh, platform. Tribeca is the governance, uh, the governance piece. And Sunny is playing the convex role where you're um, putting your liquidity in and getting both Sabre and Sunny. And Sunny is taking a a Sabre fee, so to say, and collecting some of the, the tokens themselves. And when they initially launched, they had a very, quite a high emission in the first two months, like really quite a high. So I think if I remember right, like the initial APY was like 200%. So it was much, much higher than Sabre, which made it really attractive to, to, be, um, to be locking your liquidity in there. Okay, so I think we've outlined the Sabre Wars here. Um, how do you see the bull case for this narrative in the next year to, so you've already mentioned, I think the, the VE token quality where you have a team who's really more locked in for the long term, And I think we see how all the pieces interact together. What's the bull case for this, um, this combination. And maybe we can go over um, bribes in a bit more detail as well. Sure. So the bull case for Sabre, um, I'm probably the biggest Sabre maxi on earth. Um, and even more so potentially than Dylan and Ian. Uh, so here's the bull case for Sabre. Here's how to understand Sabre. If you think that Solana's low transaction fees are a profound innovation in blockchain space, which I happen to, and if you think that the, the launch of Solana Pay a couple of days ago um, and the Phantom Wallet being released on iOS is bullish, which I also think is true, then it's important to note that all of those transactions, let's assume that Phantom does super well and Solana Pay does super well and it sort of mirrors sort of like a Visa Square type application for, the, for Web3. All of the trades that are going to be taking place there are going to be taking place via stablecoins, basically. If you think about just like point of sale merchants, this sort of thing. 
in addition, stablecoin issuance will only get greater as more and more financial products come to Solana and more and more financial products come to DeFi generally. So my opinion is that Sabre is a proxy for stablecoin growth and vice versa. The Sabre Wars are effectively a stablecoin, not entirely because they're obviously wrapped assets, but effectively Sabre is a proxy for protocol growth, for Solana's growth, because as Solana grows bigger, Stable coins will come cross-chain. They'll come in from institutional investors. They'll come from retail. And those stable coins need a home. Um, and that home is Saber, basically. Um, obviously, there are other places, but fundamentally, we, we are the home of stable coin swaps uh, and wrapped asset swaps on Solana. So the bull case here is, is that as the Saber Wars rage on and as you know, Terra and Avalanche and all the players that you can conceivably imagine as they ramp up their interest in controlling the Solana liquidity market, um, Sabre will grow. And as Sabre grows, uh, liquidity will grow. And as liquidity grows, Solana will grow. And it is just a, it is just on repeat, basically, as far as you can see it. Um, I think the reason why uh, Sabre is so fundamentally bullish is because assuming Solana keeps its track in terms of the cost of transactions and the speed and the efficiency and the settlement of the chain, there is absolutely no roof in terms of growth. I think one of the problems with sort of the curve model uh, is that basically you reach a limit when gas fees are $120 a swap. You know, that's actually fundamentally counterintuitive. It's not a positive thing and it doesn't actually help anybody. Um, So I think that unlike Ethereum, um, I'm so fundamentally bullish on Solana because the way that it's designed, it is the most intuitive. Like my grandmother, and this is on my Twitter somewhere, my grandmother, who was 85 years old, was able to set up a phantom wallet um, and with MoonPay um, was able to buy $1,000 of Sabre in about 15 minutes. Obviously, I was there, but fundamentally, she handled it herself. That is not possible on uh, any other chain, as far as I can tell, uh, and and full hats off to the Phantom people uh, for for seriously developing one of the best products ever. Another just a little piece of hidden alpha, just to sort of I think for people to understand why I'm so bullish. If you have a Phantom wallet, and if you're listening to this, whether you're on your computer or whether you're on your phone, if you go to Manage Token List and you type in the word Saber S A B E R. You can look at all of the liquidity pools that we posted uh, that we primarily are the dominant pool for in Solana. And, you know, you'll be scrolling for two to three minutes. And the reality is, is that that is a, it's not that it's impossible to replicate, but fundamentally Sabre is where stable coins live. And unless stable coins are going somewhere, which I highly doubt, um, you know, ultimately every application, every wallet, every lending platform, every lending protocol, everything eventually leads back to Sabre in some way. So if you're investing for the long term and you're investing in the future of Solana, it's hard to ignore the Sabre proposition, essentially. Um, and yeah, and I think that the, the, the symbiosis growth between Solana and Sabre is, is very parallel. I think that as Solana grows, Sabre also grows, not just in terms of TVL and volume, but in terms of just the amount of interest and users and, and everything else, TVL. Um, so yeah, that is my bull case fundamentally. And if we want to talk about bribes, 
another concept to get familiar with here, and I realize this is a lot of information, so I apologize <laughs> just to sort of go through these concepts so quickly. Uh, I feel like we should, we should definitely follow up on some of this, but bribes are really fascinating. So let's say that you have a million dollars worth of a certain token and I want, and I have, and I want you to vote a certain way. It's very important for you to vote a certain way on a particular vote. And let's say that, you know, for whatever reason, you might have a million dollars of a certain token, but this vote that's coming up is actually doesn't matter to you at all. Well, it will matter if I can pay you to vote the right way. And of course, if a million dollars worth of votes has a protocol level effect of a certain sort of uh, level that I think is worth it, I'm going to spend money to influence you. It's sort of like lobbying basically, but it's far more direct. A lot of people equate lobbying to bribes, and I wouldn't necessarily disagree with them after five years of policy, six or seven years in politics. But effectively, if as governance becomes more sophisticated and as certain actors start to, you know, you start to realize who the, the main sort of primary actors are, certain votes on certain things and the direction of protocols and the direction of, of these companies, um, it becomes a serious matter and people are willing to pay people to vote in certain directions that make sense um, that are in their economic interest. Um, and not everyone's economic interests are always aligned, but it is always the case that people will take bribes that will enrich their economic interests, even if the underlying vote um, and, and the, the best part is the underlying, they could already agree with the purpose of the bribe. So the sort of the neutral case is that um, the neutral case is that someone who has a large position in a protocol is disinterested in governance, but is bribed to care. The, the worst case is that someone who is actively fundamentally disinterested or is actually hostile to the, uh, to the protocol, but is in it for financial reasons, is bribed to vote. The best possible of, of, of all worlds is that you already agree with a governance thing or whatever it might be, and then you get paid to do it. You get paid to move your weight around in that way. So bribes are actually fascinating because, it, again, in terms of alignment and in terms of economic alignment, it's just really, really interesting to think that people's, you know, I mean, there's a lot of examples where we would probably have a far more efficient government in the United States at the state, local and federal level, if people were just far more transparent and able to just put money directly where it needs to go, as opposed to all of this sort of, you know, the handshakes and the promises, and you know, if there were just direct bribes, you know, you owe this person for this, we would probably have a far more effective government um, as opposed to the system now we have to sort of pretend like, you know, the money doesn't influence you, but it does. And you can sort of then be wishy-washy about it. Um, pardon me that's just more of a that's just a personal take on the, on the political scene here but but yeah so yeah but bribes are a, a fascinating utility sort of uh, mechanism and i think that it's going to only grow the sort of the uh, the alignment of certain uh, of certain things and certain DAOs, and it's going to grow liquidity and it's going to grow the interest in these safe wars as the money continues to pour in which it has been doing basically relatively consistently since we started I'm curious with the bribes, like concretely, say I have X amount of locked uh, of, of V Sabre and the, the the gauges are about to set to like, you know, it's about to roll over to another epoch. How does someone bribe, bribe me? Is it in Sabre or in another token or? It would be in Sunny at this point. It, okay, to my understanding, there's no plan for bribes on Sabre at this point. I don't know of any. 
Um, okay. But I know that the Sunny team has has been very vocal about their their uh, creation of a bribe network at the moment. So there is a bribe network that's coming out. Yeah, yeah. so I, I've locked my Sunny, and then how does the person who's paying the bribe know that I will vote in their in the way that they want? Like, do I kind of somehow give them control over the tokens, or um, you know, I, I'm actually not. I did not participate in sort of the the convex curve bribe uh, model, and I know that the Sunny team. I be, well, I don't know. Let me just say that it is my understanding that the Sunny team is doing things slightly differently to mm-hmm. Curve for a variety of, of sort of partially technical and then partially just lessons learned kind of thing. So I have not seen any bribe demos yet. I'm looking forward to it if, if I ever get the, the, the chance before they go live. Um, I'm not sure how it's going to play out. I think it's something like you would essentially, um, you know, I'm just spitballing here, but I assume that there would be a way for you to know that a yes vote would mm-hmm. would equal a certain amount of you know tokens, and a no vote would equal a certain amount of tokens, and then therefore essentially you just vote the way that makes sense relative to the financial incentive that's in front of you. Know, that is is my understanding. Mm-hmm. How exactly they're going to build that, I don't know yet. It's not um, it's not immediately obvious um, because yeah, I really am just waiting to see what they do. Yeah. Um, but it's going to be really interesting. I'm yeah, really for sure. For it, I'm already yeah. like every week checking Tribeca. And um, I mean, I think it's just commenting on your initial introduction. It's interesting that you were in politics and then now you're working at Sabre. And I think Tribeca, I mean, there is an element of like, it's obviously a governance platform and crypto is trying to um, to explore new ways of aligning incentives, which is in some ways what traditional politics is also um, aiming to do. And so it's, it's interesting that you landed in this position where it's still, there's like a new form of politics in a sense. Oh, absolutely. And I would, uh, I would say that I've already seen this. I'm not going to say who this is um, or where they're, uh, where they're coming from, but uh, I will say that there are going to be professional activists, professional governance, shareholder companies that are going to emerge. They're actually emerging right now. Um, they're in their infancy. So I think this is an unexplored model, but it is a fascinating one. Um, and the implications of this are enormous because, of course, it's decentralized governance. You know, it's and if you look at the top ten shareholders of the vast majority of all U.S. corporations, you know, you see the Saudi uh, sovereign wealth fund in there. You see BlackRock. You know, you, you, there's a whole bunch of different organizations. There's lots of teachers union, uh, uh, teachers pensions, and you know, sort of state pensions and government pensions and things like that. Um, but this sort of turns it on its head a little bit. It makes it a lot bigger because you know, at the end of the day. Um, you know, I think Chase has their shareholder meetings and presumably BlackRock and other institutions get to uh, get to make a say. But, uh, you know, I can imagine a world where the, you know, the Saudi sovereign wealth fund comes in and starts making proposals across DeFi, you know, and that's just what they want to do, you know, and they can make proposals all day and it's not like there's any cap. Um, so that's a very different model. Uh, it's a much faster model. The feedback is a lot quicker. Um and I don't know what the consequences of that is going to be, um, but I am, I've, I've been contacted by a couple of companies at this point that are essentially professional activists. They're going to become essentially token activists, um, governance activists and governance players. Uh, so that's a space to watch. That is for sure. Yeah, stay posted then. Um, 
Okay, yeah, I think we've given a pretty good picture of the Sabre Wars. Uh, of course, the best way to understand it is to actually interact with the protocols themselves and uh, lock some Sabre up, hop on Tribeca, um, do some voting on the, the, next, the next epoch of, of the gauges. Um, so I'd love to hear, as we're finishing up here, you're already mentioning Solana Pay. Is there any other things in the Solana ecosystem right now that are sort of exciting you or interesting you? Um, I would say that, so Metaplex, I think, is the industrial revolution of NFTs. So I wouldn't sleep on Metaplex. I know Jonathan Choi over there, uh, and he works harder than I do, uh, which is hard to believe. Um, he is building... They are building the industrial revolution for NFTs. So that's a huge thing. Um, I'm more of an architecture and infrastructure guy. I don't, uh, Metaplex is where I know the NFT and there's Magic Eden as well. I'm much more interested in bridges and I'm much more interested in um, sort of architectural things like Phantom, things like that. I would say that with the cost and the efficiency of Solana, marketplaces that exist, pardon me, in Web2, take a 20% fee. And essentially all they do is align buyers and sellers. Within five years, all of those will be gone. They will all be on Solana and they will either adapt or they will die. So from a marketplace point of view, I think that Solana objectively will look more like the Apple App Store in five years. Um, Upwork is a really good example of a company that takes 30% bringing contractors together from around the world with people who need them. What does Upwork actually do? I don't actually know other than just host the capacity for people to meet. I'm sure Upwork's a great company. I'm sure they have great vision. I'm sure they've done a lot of social good. I don't see how that 30% model survives. I don't know how it could. Um, and the other thing is, of course, that if you're hiring computer software, you know, computer programmers and computer engineers, Everything can be on-chain. You know, the, the, the capacity for on-chain records and on-chain identity, on-chain insurance, all of these things um, is going to make Web2 marketplace models look very weak. The other thing is, is that I mentioned this before, but I think that Phantom has the clearest chance of at the, at, at the same time of replacing your Chase Bank account and also replacing Square, which I guess is now Block, and also replacing Visa all at the same time. There are very few companies with that level of trajectory, um, but it's because the architecture works so well because the blockchain is the underlying, the Solana blockchain is the underlying architecture. So that is fascinating. Um, and that is, again, something that I think about all the time. Uh, bridges are also fascinating. I know that we obviously, you saw yesterday, uh, the wormhole team, um, and, and that whole situation. Wormhole team are some of the hardest working people that we know. Um, and this is, there are bumps in the road when it comes to re-architecting the entire financial system and changing the payment rails and the trust and the structure of those payment rails in a multi-chain world as well, let alone Solana, you know, ETH and Finance Smart Chain and everything else. Um, shout out to Jump for just stepping in there and, and just really showing the community that they're in it for the long haul. Again, I think that that is a theme of the Solana ecosystem that is not 
sufficiently appreciated. I think that it will be. I think that Solana being valued at a trillion dollars in under 10 years is a, is a mid-market case, in my opinion. I don't think that Solana is going to be slept on for very long because the people who work on Solana are some of the hardest working long-term thinkers I've ever met. So what excites me is long-term architectural and structural plays in the form of wallets, bridges, Sabre, of course. Um, I think, and marketplaces. I think marketplaces are going to be a lot bigger in the next two or three years. NFT marketplaces have just begun and the volume that they do is staggering. I think that it's, the other thing that there's a statistic I saw the other day, I'm not sure this is true. And please, someone uh, correct me. Visa settled 11.6 trillion last year. Ethereum settled about 10 trillion. And Solana settled a trillion a day, is from what I understand, in terms of just volume. Because in, a, in capital markets, there are, even now, there are hindrances to moving your money around. Um, there are fees, there are brokers, there are people who call you up and they advise you not to sell and they advise you not to move. And Solana, you know, two-tenths of a cent, it, it takes six seconds. Um, there's arbitrage everywhere. There's inefficiencies everywhere. There are people in discords, in professional investing discords, you know, finding different, you know, opportunities everywhere. I don't know a world... I knew a world before the internet, almost. And I remember dial-up. I remember broadband. I remember AOL and MSN Messenger. That's how old I am, 28. I suspect that the world that we're looking at now where transactions are two-tenths of a cent and the speed, six seconds. I feel like we're in like a broadband AOL MySpace type, type era, which means that the the upcoming innovation and, and efficiencies uh, and growth, I think has like a thousand X to go. So generally speaking, uh, there's nothing to not be excited about. Um, but I think if you're investing in the future of Solana, if you're investing in Solend, if you're investing in Port, if you're investing in Serum, if you're investing in Sabre and Sunny and Phantom when they have a token and Quarry when they have a token, Tribeca, if they have a token, you know, this is, this is like a, a financial revolution that I, I think will only be appreciated when I'm like 50, you know, in like 40, in 35 years, people will fully appreciate what we've been doing. Uh, they'll appreciate your podcast, you know, and, you know, I mean, this is just, it's going to be historical record. Um, so yeah, that's, I hope that answers the question, but, uh, but yeah. I think you have more than answered the question uh, i would comment on a few of them but i think you've summarized it so well that i actually won't even bother um uh so yeah i think this is this has gotten me excited i hope it's getting the listener excited um it's it's crazy to see how fast the core team is executing how fast the strong teams on slime are executing if you could choose any token I mean, the Phantom one would just be insane. So yeah, there's just so much to be excited for as we get stuck into 2022. Uh, Alex, thanks so much for joining us. And as we just um, sort of finish up here, do you want to let people know how they can follow you and stay on, on track with the Sabre War narrative? Sure thing. So uh, uh, my Twitter handle is Alex at Alex Kaufman, C-O-F-F-M-A-N-S-O-L for Solana. 
Um, there's another really great account that everyone should follow, uh, not just Dylan uh, Macliano and Ian Macliano, uh, who um, are the co-founders of Sabre. You can look up Sabre, you look at the who's following, and it's just it's the whole core team. Um, but a- shout out to SMB underscore 681. Um, that Twitter handle wrote a great breakdown of the, uh, of the Sabre Wars. Um, I believe that's hosted at smb681.substack.com. It's a fantastic introduction to Sabre Wars. It's, I mean, I didn't commission this. He's doing a way better job than I have done in explaining. So it's, it's excellent. And it's part one. So it's, there's, there's going to be more as we come through. Um, but yeah, Alex Kaufman's soul. Um, follow the Sabre team. And then SMB681. SMB681. Shout out to that Anon account. It's just amazing work. And yeah, that's, that's about it. There you go, people. Stay posted. The wars are just getting underway. Thanks, Alex. Cheers, mate. Appreciate it very much. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you liked it, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app right now. For extra points, follow us on Twitter at Solana Cove. A reminder, anything said on Solana Cove is not financial or tax advice. Solana Cove is strictly educational and is not investment advice. Keep in mind, you and you alone are responsible for your assets and always do your own research.